three, two, one. Got him. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted you got all the advantages. It's easy. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of the Republic Football Podcast Network and Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at DCTF. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one, the only, Jay Arnold. That intro is is still getting me. Uh, even even though I'm like kind of already halfway in vacation mode, I'm I'm still getting fired up. Uh, or or as we say in football terms, my piss is hot from uh, from from that speech there. When we when we get your WWE career off the ground, I just want to be your Bobby Heenan. That's all I'm angling Perfect. for. I just want to be the 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 mouth of the South and just just talking to a megaphone. I think that would have been a great job for me actually, just talking shit to in wrestling and then not being real and be able to go in the back and be like, my bad, like, don't beat me up. I think that would have been great actually for yeah. me. I guess the, uh, the modern day, the closest to, to Bobby Heenan we have now is probably Paul Heyman. Oh but, man, uh, the goat. Yeah. Uh, we're already getting into some wrestling talk here. So you can tell that, uh, the college football season's almost upon us. Cause we're, uh, we're, we know what we're about to get into <laughs> folks. By the time you hear this podcast, we will have one Saturday without college football in in the front windshield of, of the drive here, right? Like we are August 26th. We were coming up on you uh, for the state of Texas. UTEP plays week zero. So that, that's pretty cool for us that Dave Campbell's gives us something to write about, talk about. Uh, conference USA does this odd thing where it's a conference game right out of the gate. Week zero, you go play Jack State. If you're UTEP last year, they hosted uh, North Texas. What are your thoughts on that before we kind of get into the show? What are your, what are your quick thoughts on conference games straight out of the gate? Uh, I don't mind it because I have a fond memory of a conference game straight out of the gate. That's true. Uh, you do. When we played against South Carolina uh, in 2014, one of my personal best performances uh, as a defensive lineman uh, was against the Gamecocks at, uh, at uh, what is it, Willie B. Uh, Willie B. Bryce Stadium. Uh, so I kind of like it. You're just throwing yourselves right into it, but, uh, I can definitely understand where some people would rather have a little bit of a tune up game, uh, before they really dive into the conference schedule at the same time. I mean, you look at a, a C, uh, conference USA team, a lot of times their first team out of the gate, the first game out of the gate is going to end up being a power five school. Yeah. So from that side of things, maybe you want to have a conference opponent instead, uh, to kick off your year. Yeah, you get a chance to to get to one and zero, and I honestly last year I did a story with North Texas and UTEP and like how that changed things and starting early. And I thought the coaches would hate it. Seemed like they enjoyed it because it made the, the those players had to lock in early. You didn't get that 
you know, you weren't going to Oklahoma and getting your brains kicked in for a million dollars. And then really the season starts week two and you can pretend like that's not true, but everybody knows that it's true. But with the conference game, uh, you really get everybody's full attention in early August and, and through training camp. So they enjoyed it. We'll see how that goes, but it's exciting to have football back uh, for those new to the show. Going to do this in four downs. Uh, we're going to split this show up into four different topics. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, the documentary Untold Johnny Football, who uh, my co-host Jay Arnold made a made a cameo in there. So that that was kind of cool. He's a superstar. So we'll talk about that, and we'll also dive into the SEC to get behind the curtain. Jay's going to be gone next week. He's on a on a vacation somewhere that's not a thousand degrees. So let's all be jealous of him. Uh, however, that means we're going to just do an SEC preview type show. Talk about this documentary that th- that way nothing changes over the weekend and we get caught uh, sounding silly because we talk about a player we jinx them and then all of a sudden they sprain their ankle or something like that in, in the scrimmage. So that's what we'll do. Uh, before we get started, uh, Homefield Apparel is our our main sponsor here. Go to homefieldapparel.com promo code whoop. W-H-O-O-P. Uh, we'll get you 15% off uh, your first order. There's plenty of Aggie gear on there. They dropped UTEP pretty recently. Uh, I think it's like eight or nine of, of the Texas schools are represented. A lot of cool shirts uh, from out, out of the state as well. And then also, please rate us five star. Let your friends know about the podcast. We only grow uh, with your help. You know, the word of mouth is the best way to help this thing uh, get further off the ground. So we appreciate everybody who's been listening so far. Uh, Jay, let's get to first down the Johnny doc. You know, you are, you know, probably one of the maybe 150 people, you know, I don't know, 85 scholarship people per year, right? Those two years you were around, you, you got to see this firsthand. What were your overall thoughts when you saw untold Johnny football on Netflix? There was probably, uh, still a lot that's untold if <laughs> I'm being honest. Uh, I mean, obviously they went into some of the details of things and, uh, you know, there, there are some things that I didn't know, right. That I learned, uh, I think most notable was probably the, the whole oil money story. I, okay. I wanted to ask you about this. So, <laughs> so the players on the team also thought Johnny came from money. And then that, that was true. There wasn't this kind of wink, wink behind the scenes that everybody knew that was bullshit. I can't speak for everyone else. And, and, you know, like Defensive guys tend to run together. Offensive guys run together. Sure. So, like, I didn't know Johnny super, super well, right? Like, I mean, there were still some nights on Northgate or uh, what have you, but, like, I wasn't in the the offensive crew. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought he just had money. Uh, <laughs> now, I did also know that the signing uh, happened, mm-hmm. uh, but already in my uh, – you know, as a as a freshman, I was pretty uh, pretty adamant that I didn't care because the NCAA is is keeping us from making money anyway. So, go go get a bag while you can, if you can. That was always my the the thing in the NIL conversation that I always found funny was when all the adults tried to be like, "Well, how will the fairness happen?" And there will be jealousy within the locker room. And it's like most guys know who the superstars are and who should be making the money. And in an NFL locker room, the guard knows the quarterback's going to get the deal with the shaving company and not him, you know? And so uh, I I didn't think that that would cause a riff within the locker room, but that's great that even you guys kind of just assumed that, that that story was real. Cause that was fantastic. I actually know some people from Kerrville who was like, that dude, (laughs) he is full of bleep, you know, like they, he did not come from any of that kind of stuff. And if he did, they're, they're, they're spending all of it. So uh, that, that part was interesting to me. Do you have, 
kind of like, I, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you as a journalist, if you didn't have like a, a really good behind the scenes, Johnny football story. Now that it seems like the statue of limitations are up and he's okay <laughs> talking about some of the crazy stuff. Well, I mean, the, the biggest Johnny story that I have isn't really that off the wall. And it's, it's already been out in the wild was when we did the locker room jousting uh, in, in fall camp in 2013, where he was pushing one of the laundry carts uh, with, I think Floyd Raven was in it. And then I was pushing a laundry cart with Devonte Harris in it. And they were like, had these PVC pipes with tennis balls on the end of it. Uh, and we, we pushed the two carts at each other and it was like, they would have helmets and pads on and it was like jousting. And it was, uh, we got in trouble for that, uh, very quickly <laughs> or I did. Right. Uh, right. I, I can't say that Johnny got in too much trouble because I mean, he already had so much around him going on already. He was probably dealing with, but, uh, that, that's my favorite personal Johnny story was, uh, the laundry cart jousting one of those things that you do to keep yourself sane in fall camp. <laughs> did you watch this documentary with the smile on your face or did it make you a little sad? It's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't reminisce on, on college football and, and my time personally and, and the fun that I had, but it's also like, you never know kind of what somebody's dealing with on a personal aspect and 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 the pressures that that someone's going through and it's i mean i i don't think that i could have personally done anything different but you always have that doubt in the back of your mind because i watched it and again i have a, a different perspective on this whole deal i wrote about it at texasfootball.com um i was in rehab i was in a 90-day rehab facility that the state of texas forced me to go to it was either that or two years in state jail in bertram or in uh uh, uh what is that town outside of granger anyway that's not part of the story but anyway i was in rehab as as johnny went from lovable college party guy which i think we all thought was cool right like at least i did right he was like winning the heisman uh you know putting a&m on the map flashing money signs, making money behind the scenes, uh, you know, only got a half game to the NCAA and kind of giving them a middle finger along the way, partying with really good looking girls, all that kind of, right? Like, I mean, that's everybody's dream. Like, Hanging I, out I, with celebrities. Right, like with with rappers and first, first row of basketball games and the Super Bowl. I mean, I think everybody was like, man, this guy, that's how I would live if I could possibly live that way. If I came from money like we all thought he did and all that stuff, right? It was like, man, that's... But when he got to the Browns, it turned, you know, and you could tell that in the documentary as well, where he wasn't having fun anymore is, is what he was saying that he just he he said that he only saw it in black and white. And I was in rehab and I remember seeing him through that fall and we could watch TV from 7 to 9 p.m. on this 20 inch TV in the corner of a room. You could watch ESPN and all that kind of stuff. And you would hear these stories. And, and, and as I was going through and we you project, right, we all kind of project on other people. Um, so this isn't me calling Johnny an addict. I, I don't live. I don't know him. Like he has his own path to whatever. But as an addict, I noticed some of those self-sabotaging behaviors and went, ah, oh, man, that's what everybody around me is saying that I'm doing. Not to the extent I didn't have a five million dollar bender, but I think most addicts have had that. Right when things are getting good, you do something dumb to pull yourself back down. Just that idea of like, you're not worthy of good enough. And it felt like with Johnny, uh, when he was going to the NFL, it seemed like right before everything that was big that was going to happen, the NFL combine, the private workout with the Browns, uh, the game that he just basically skipped in 2016, right? He would go 
and kind of distract himself. It would become too big and he, he would lose himself a little bit. And I think most addicts have had those feelings. I know I had, and everybody had told me that I was doing this, that this is a subconscious thing that you're sabotaging yourself. Uh, and I couldn't see it just like Johnny talked about how he couldn't see it. And watching the documentary kind of brought me back to 2014 to do 2015 early on in my recovery, watching Johnny Manziel, watching Johnny football struggles and seeing it in myself in a way that helped me get clean and stay clean. And uh, as of August 12th, it's nine years, you know, because that happened in, in, in the August of 2014 when I got put in there. So I watched the documentary uh, maybe not with a smile or a, or a frown, but just like with some reverence and, and some sympathy uh, for what he went through and what I feel like he probably continues to go through uh, in ways. Yeah. And, and the flip side of that too, is I, I can't imagine the pressure that he was under Oh man, uh, and scrutiny. And, and, you know, like he described college station as a fishbowl town. And I think that's pretty accurate when you're a Heisman winner as, as a, as a freshman and, uh, you have all the eyes in the world uh, upon you in, in College Station and, and beyond. I mean, he really was a national phenomenon. And I mean, experiencing that at, at 19 and, and 20 years old is I, I can't imagine the pressure that not only he's getting from the media, but also, I mean, even me as an athlete, I put a ton of pressure on myself. I can only imagine how much more uh, the magnitude of it was for him as, you know, in the quarterback position already you're you're putting more pressure on yourself and you know it, it's i mean it, it is it's scary in a way right like to think about all of the athletes across college football and you know you're not fully mentally developed right yeah. when you're when you're going through these uh through this difficulty and and getting put under a microscope and you know uh you, you still have a lot of growing up to do and i can't help but wonder like how much that impacts uh, athletes in the college game. And the adults around you are making so much money that it's not in their best interest to put a stop to any of it. Yeah. You know, because how do you, it, it would be unfair to see Johnny's actions back then and go like, Hey, you have addictive behaviors or mental illness or he was, he was a college kid. A lot of college kids do that and they grow out of it and they go on, they live their life and it doesn't become detrimental. Um, so I don't blame Cliff or any of the coaches for like not being like, Hey, you need to go to rehab. You have a problem. But well, and the other thing too, is I don't think that at that time we were placing as much of an emphasis on mental health. Sure. So right. Like, we're not, we're not catching some of the things anyway, because we're not thinking about it in right. that, in that form. And Cliff liked to go have a good time and enjoy his celebrity status as a quarterback too. So I think Cliff kind of saw himself and Johnny a little bit. Johnny just didn't know how to stop the party. You know, most of us graduate from college and you kind of slow down a little bit. It becomes a weekend thing or an every other weekend thing. It's not still just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That was my problem. Like most of my friends did all the things I was doing in college. But then as we started our careers, it got less and less for them. Whereas I just <laughs> I just kept doing it for a really long time. And, and it just grew and grew and grew. And it feels like that for Johnny, right? It's okay to go drink and have a good time. I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's not okay to go do drugs and have a good time. Uh, but the day before a big game, or the day, you know, a week before the combine when you know you get drugged, like though that's when it's a problem, right? When it starts getting in front of you and you can't say no to it. And it felt like that was true for Johnny. The signs were there and everybody was making so much money that there was no reason, like you couldn't pull him back, including himself, right? He was yeah. making so much money and he knew he was going to the NFL. That there probably wasn't much that anybody could have done in the moment. Uh, but I think the thing that the documentary made clear is that nobody did anything 
at all. And that is probably true around college football and around life to where we just kind of figure the next person's going to figure it out or maybe they'll figure it out. You know, it's the bystander syndrome type deal. And just nobody did anything for Johnny except for make millions and millions of dollars off of his bat. Yeah. And it's again, like knowing that I didn't really play much of a role in the story at all. I still can't help, but like wonder if, you know, a small guy in the locker room myself, I could have helped, but uh, that's just me projecting in a way that is completely narcissistic and stupid on my own end. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's always a, a matter of what ifs in stories like this. And, you know, I'm just really thankful that he seems to be in a better place and is, is still with us. Yeah. And you don't know what's going to happen in the future. So it's hard to deal with that in the present, you know, cause like there's other alternatives where like Johnny gets drafted by the Browns. He gets his, life together he stays straight through the combine he doesn't fall off a cliff and he becomes a solid nfl quarterback and we're all just talking about a dude that partied a lot when he was 20 and a lot of us partied a lot when we were 20 no big deal and so uh, i i don't think anybody's to blame there i think it's just a systematic microscope into a moment that's probably happening all over the place all the time um and and that it can get away from you that it's a slippery slope between i like to have a good time and i'm partying i can do whatever i want to do i'm an adult to like hey man this guy is struggling you know he he admitted he bought a gun and was thinking about shooting himself you know he got pretty dark and so um what is you know before we move on to the next thing like what is do you think the overall legacy of johnny football because i thought it was cool that the documentary started with him getting inducted in the hall of fame and him thanking everybody for kind of sticking behind him. And every Aggie I know freaking loves Johnny football and considers them one of his own. And I think it's cool that he has a place uh, that still thinks of him in all the best light, because once you're kind of an NFL bus guy, a lot of people, you know, you have that stigma everywhere else you go, but it seems like he has a place where he can go and be loved and be appreciated. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And like, I will always have fond memories uh, of my time at AM. Uh, and a big part of that is because of Johnny and, and all the things that he accomplished and, and how exciting it was to be on that team in 2013. I mean, obviously 2012 was an even better year, but still the excitement around the program in 2013 was, was tangible. And I mean, you look at all the stuff that happened and, and it was kind of a perfect storm with Johnny coming in the first year in the SEC and, and, uh, I think that's part of why too that the legacy around uh, around him will be so fondly remembered because a lot of people did not believe in Texas A&M going to the SEC, uh, and you know if if Johnny's not there, I like 2012 doesn't happen. I think we all know that. I mean, it's a talented team, but just the way he was able to change the game uh, will always have him. Uh, a legacy spot in college station as far as kind of launching AM into that next era. Uh, and I think that's why so many people fondly remember him is because that Heisman, uh, that 2012 campaign, it's a big part of the reason why AM is what it is today as far as nationally recognized. And uh, I mean, you're always going to have people kind of detract from AM until they win something, but I think it did put AM on a lot of people's maps as far as a more valid program and helped to get that new stadium built and mm-hmm. uh, modernize, modernize the place in a lot of ways, if we're being honest. Yeah, it was proof of concept. 
he he proved that you could win and you could win big and you could win a lot, win rewards and 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 all that stuff in College Station. I think that was important to create that identity early in the SEC. Not that they would have become Arkansas or Vanderbilt or Missouri or something, but you know, you you became like you had your own thing, right? You're like the Johnny Manziel school and everybody knew that. I would imagine admissions went up and just the popularity of the jerseys all over the place and the apparel and all that kind of stuff went up. I'd imagine it helped with recruiting. Like if you were, you were a recruit during 2012, I'd imagine, you know, that helped you choose where you were going to go to school as well. Yeah, I mean, so I had committed before, like I committed in spring of 2011, I think. Or no, 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 spring of 2012. So before we, I mean, the SEC move was a big part of my decision, but before we really knew what was going to happen with Johnny, but I'll tell you what, uh, getting to witness that season firsthand uh, from even the loss against Florida, I mean, being there as a recruit and and seeing some of the things that Johnny was able to do, you could kind of tell it was going to be a special year, even in a loss. Uh, but yeah, I mean, once I was committed and saw what happened that year, I did not think of going anywhere else. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. It was a cool time. It was a cool time in college station uh, for sure. 2023 uh, should be another good time uh, at Kyle field. It always is. I saw a, a list today. I can't remember. I should have remembered who put out the list, but Kyle field was ranked uh, number one fan experience, number one stadium in the sec. Uh, so that was, uh, that was good. I, I still think it's the best place I've ever seen a college football game. Rose bowl, um for a national championship if that counts uh and then kyle field absolutely for a regular season game can't wait for that 2024 texas game as we've talked about uh multiple times i just want to keep putting it into the atmosphere so nobody <laughs> shuts me out uh, of the press box that day um on this show we talked about you know we're recording this on a friday going to put it out uh monday the 14th so we're going to do kind of a, a more of an sec preview type deal uh kind of broad stroke it uh, so for second down, we'll stay in the SEC West. I wanted to start here. Kind of who in your mind is the favorite? Not your pick. We'll get to that in a second. But on pay, who do you think should be the favorite uh, going into 2023, Alabama or LSU? I never want to count Alabama out, uh, but I just feel like LSU has more tools there. And, you know, it, it's – I know that me saying that LSU is my favorite is going to just lead to Alabama having one of the best years they've ever had. <laughs> 13 right? and 0, mark it down. Yeah. So, <laughs> because they always tend to respond like that whenever I count them out. But I, I just feel like LSU is the better of the two right now and should be the favorite in the SEC West. Yeah. I mean, the. The biggest compliment I can give to Nick Saban is we don't really know who the superstars of this team are going to be at some very important spots. And we're still like, Alabama. You know, going to be there to to compete for an SEC title in the national championship game because it's probably true. He signed like 10 five stars the year before uh, that talent, I believe, is 90 percent blue chip ratio, like 90 percent of their players on their roster are four or five star guys. Like it is an insane amount of talent in Tuscaloosa. We just haven't seen any of them have to be uh, in the forefront as much. Right. Like Bryce Young's gone. Will Anderson's gone. A lot of those big names are gone. They don't have like the name recognition running backs and wide receivers we're used to uh, Alabama, but they're going to be good defensively as they always are. Now Pete Golding's gone and a new defensive coordinator comes in there, but the defense is, I mean, it's Nick Saban's defense, right? So it's just a, a different guy uh, calling it. My biggest question is that quarterback for Alabama. I don't know who it's going to be. I know Jalen Milrow uh, from Katie Tompkins and what his upside is and what his ceiling is. Uh, as well, I just feel better about the LSU quarterback situation with Daniels and, and Harold Perkins, probably the best defensive player in the uh, in the country. Uh, give me LSU as well as the favorite. I think they're my pick uh, to win the SEC West. 
Yeah, I think uh, we're in agreement on that. And I mean, obviously, the SEC West is is always a little bit chaotic, right? Like Alabama tends to be the top, but there's still a lot of a lot of talent on all the football teams there in that division, and uh, things can change in a hurry. An injury here, an injury there, or a breakout guy, uh, and the whole perspective can shift. Uh, and obviously, you have, uh, you know, sometimes it depends on who you have cross division right like sometimes if you get like a draw with with kentucky or or vanderbilt uh and you know missouri as opposed to getting a georgia or or going to play at a tennessee who was really good last year it can change how you finish in your own division so uh, i think there's a lot of variables that go into it but lsu and alabama feel like a solid one too who do you think could be this year's lsu like a team that maybe nobody's talking about and all of a sudden, you know, maybe they're competing for that divisional title. Uh, I think, uh, I think Ole Miss is one. Mm-hmm. Right. You can and, say it, you can say it, Jay, you can say yeah, it. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say Texas A&M is, mm-hmm. is also there with pieces that if things come together, they could be a contender in the SEC West. Uh, obviously we have to see a lot of improvement, but we've talked about it. If, if things go right, the potential is there. I, yeah, just hate, I, I hate putting that out into the universe. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said it first because I was going to echo the same thing and I didn't want to be seen as the one kissing up to the fan base that I don't belong to, right? Like you can be truthful and, and people will still accept you <laughs> in the college station. But I, I do think A&M's upside is bigger than what LSU's was last year, right? And if Alabama is really down and LSU's a team that A&M beat last year, every player on the roster knows that they can, they can beat uh, because they've done it before. Uh, why not Texas A&M? You know, I could probably give you a couple why nots, but like I, I, I can understand why in that locker room you could look around and go, we have all the pieces to do this here. We just need to get off to a quick start, get this offense rolling, and figure out some stuff defensively. But, uh, you know, all that said, Alabama's probably going 13, 14 and 0 and just rolling through people and smashing people on the way to the Nick Saban redemption tour times five. Like, I feel like there's this is like this would be the fifth return of the dead uh, for Nick Saban. So, who knows? Maybe the SEC West still goes through them, but I, I think there are as many contenders to the throne as there's been in a long time. Like Ole Miss is another team that if they play for the SEC championship, I'm not that shocked. I think there's four teams in the fight here. Yeah, and, and Quinchon Judkins may be the best player in the SEC. Yeah, and really- I don't think that's I don't think that's uh, hyperbole. I think he is really that special of an athlete. Uh, so yeah, again, there's there's a lot. Uh, that could happen in this division in 2023. I a lot of people have kind of been Arkansas dark horse pick because of KJ Jefferson and stuff. I just don't see it. I just I do not buy into Arkansas as I think they're a team that could probably upset a team or two, right? I mean, I, I don't put it past them to like knock off LSU randomly or something. Uh, but week in and week out in the S, I just don't think they got the horses to do it. Yeah, Arkansas gets talked about a lot as a, as a dark horse, like you said. Uh, it's what you mentioned as far as week in, week out. Uh, they're a very, very good team. I don't think they're a great team. And I think LSU and Alabama are that great. And I think Ole Miss and Texas A&M have that potential to be great. I don't see that as much from Arkansas. Who do you think uh, is, is Mississippi State kind of last in, in your book? on Who do you think Auburn, Mississippi State, Arkansas, who, who's kind of the biggest disappointment at the bottom of the West? Well, here's the thing. I, I don't think that Mississippi State is going to have high expectations uh, from anyone That's except true. their own. Uh, 
right. uh, program. And and again, I think Mississippi State is going to be decent. Like I, I don't think they're going to be a bad team, but I just don't think that nationally and and even in the SEC uh, media that a lot of people are expecting Mississippi State to do much. Uh, Auburn, I think you know, with all the turnover that they had, they also have lowered expectations, but I, I see them taking more of a step forward, uh, which leaves us Arkansas, who, like you said, a lot of people have kind of higher expectations for as a dark horse. Uh, so kind of by nature of that, I think they're the most likely to disappoint uh, just based off the fact that I think a lot of people will expect them to do well. Uh, it's not really that Arkansas is going to be bad. It's, more that there are higher expectations for them versus Auburn and Mississippi State. And so if they underperform, uh, they just kind of slot into that disappointment spot. You know, earlier we talked about kind of who the LSU of the SEC West could be. I, I think the A&M of the SEC West, right, like a team that had really high expectations and then had a five-win season, I think that could be Ole Miss. Like, I love Lane Kiffin's shtick. And I, I like the transfer to the SIP thing and kind of becoming this outlaw renegade one year at a time. Type. I, I mean, I enjoy it, right? I mean, we've talked about on the show, we talked about wrestling before we even got into football today. Like, give me the show, give me the entertainment. This is fun, right? This isn't, this isn't, you know, <laughs> like global war or anything like that. However, every coach I know in the world talks about culture and distractions and all of that stuff. And it just feels like Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss are walking that tightrope of what is the culture? Like what it what is culture when you overturn a roster like that every single year? And he's been on podiums and he's talked about how they don't even really talk about culture anymore. Like they treat it more like an NFL program. I know it's moving more towards that, but I still think 20-year-olds need something to galvanize around and to have a program and all that stuff. Maybe that's just outdated me being almost 40, but I'm really curious to see how Ole Miss, how Colorado, how Texas state, uh, how a lot of these programs kind of go about uh, building some cohesion and, and, and teamliness going into 2023 in a way that that never, nobody's ever been asked to do it like this before. Yeah. It's uh, part of those changes in, in college football, but I, I do agree with you where, uh, as youth, and we talked about it kind of in, in first down, uh, the egos kind of need to be cold a little bit and, and you have to have a little bit of, uh, uh, a little bit of cohesion and, and, and taming and, and, and humbleness come in. Otherwise things can spiral in a hurry. Uh, and Ole Miss does, and the whole thing with their quarterback room too. I mean, yeah. uh, and now again, I'm speaking from experience with 2015 and everything that happened at A&M, uh, Sometimes you get that much talent in uh, in a quarterback room and all the guys expect to start, it can be a little bit detrimental to your program and, and health. And uh, sometimes guys can take sides in the locker room and it, it can uh, blow up in a nasty way. And I mean, like you said, Lane Kiffin is a, a very entertaining character. I think he's kind of a guy that college football needs. For sure. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's a... Uh, it is a tightrope act. So we'll see what Ole Miss does. And again... Part of the fact that they could be a disappointment is because there are high expectations, right? Like if you have no expectations, you can't really be a disappointment. But uh, we'll see what happens uh, in Oxford in, in 2023. Definitely another story to watch. You can tell that to my ex-girlfriends, Jay. Uh, just because just because there's not high expectations does not mean you cannot be a disappointment. Uh, before we move on to the SEC w- uh, East, I will say Auburn's going to beat somebody they're not supposed to this year. 
Absolutely. Hugh yeah. Freeze, not a great human. I uh, wouldn't want him around <laughs> me or anybody I cared about. However, <laughs> the mother effort can coach some football and they're going to beat somebody they're not supposed to this year. That's just my prediction on Auburn. Oh, man. The thing with Hugh Freeze now is like, I just forever have that uh, shot of him. Yep. I yeah. think it was Liberty and playing Syracuse when he's up in the yeah. up in the uh, the press box, giving the thumbs up from the bed in a bed. Incredible, just oh, man, absolute but... nasty behavior. Just just an incredible, incredible <laughs> man. But I mean, he he can't. He's a ball coach. Like he's you know, I I feel the same way. Like about the brow about our brows, you know, where it's like I don't want anything to do with him. But like we're gonna talk about coaching football. Like the dude's gonna. Dude can coach the football, and Hugh Freeze kind of seems similar to me, where it's like, I don't know if I'd want him in charge of my program, but I don't want to play him on Saturday either because the dude coaches ass off. Yeah, he's a, he's a good coach, and uh, you know, I think he's got a, a pretty good staff around him, too. I mean, uh, you know, Cadillac Williams still on staff there. He kind of galvanized that program there at the end of the season, so uh, there's some uh, there's some intrigue on the Plains in Auburn for sure as well. Yeah, that AM Auburn game is going to be an interesting one to watch. Uh, Bobby Petrino, Hugh Freeze, a lot of characters, Jimbo Fisher, a lot of characters <laughs> on each sideline there. Uh, moving on to the SEC East. Um, can anybody challenge Georgia? Is this just like uh, I saw? I was, I, you know, I'm a gambler. So today the English Premier League is starting uh, on this this weekend. We're recording it again on Friday before the weekend starts. But I was going to put in some last second bets on who I thought was going to finish top four, who I thought I was going to win uh, the title. And I thought it was funny. Man City has been so good uh, that they have a a line out there that like who's going to win the title like if Man City didn't exist, basically, like who's going to get second essentially is like a bet that you can make because everybody is betting on Man City to win it. Is that the same for Georgia here where, you know, you'll take Georgia over the field and it's really not even worth discussing who can challenge them because they're just that far better than everybody in the East. Yeah. Some days I, I really question my my decision to be a Tottenham fan. Uh, when I get to see my my buddy Alex Caruso, uh, A&M grad, celebrate all of city's trophies uh maybe i should when did he become a city fan i think he's always been a city fan. okay okay i was about to be very mad yeah no nothing uh, burns me up more than post like saudi money man city fan you know what i mean yeah no i think he i think he's been a city supporter for as long as i've known him that's fair so uh they used to stink yeah like chris vanini from the athletic is a man city fan but i never give him shit because he's been tweeting about Man City since like 2007, like whenever Twitter existed. So it's like, okay, that dude went through some crap. Like he's a, he deserves this. Yeah. Uh, but like the Man City fans in my mentions and on Twitter who like joined in 2015, I can't stand you. Go play yeah. FIFA. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, Georgia does kind of feel like that, right? Like it just seems like everybody's expecting the Bulldogs to repeat again. Uh, they're kind of like in an Alabama situation where like, they lose their quarterback in Stetson Bennett, right? But you still have the best tight end in college football, and I don't think it's up for debate in Brock Bowers. Uh, you have a defense that's still going to be very solid in spite of losses. I mean, it's – Tennessee maybe could be a challenger, uh, but I really don't see anything else on the horizon there other than Tennessee in in the East. And I think Tennessee had a better shot last year than they do this year. I saw the 2019 LSU uh, team in person. I saw the 2005 Texas team in person that played that USA team that won all those games. I saw Alabama in 2009. I've I've seen a lot of the best teams over this century in person. 
just from being fortunate in my life. Seeing Georgia last year in that championship game, just walking around the field before they played TCU, I had never seen anything that impressive before. I think the 2019 LSU team was better, but like Jamar Chase doesn't like scare you off the hoof, right? Like you don't see those guys and you're like, man, Justin Jefferson's a freaking. You walk around Georgia and you're seeing like their backup tight end be 6'8, 270. Like they was, it was a team that I had never seen before. I feel like Kirby Smart has surpassed Nick Saban as, you know, the guy in college football. And if they get a three peat, like, I don't know, man, like that's, it's one of the better dynasties in the history of college football. Like we need to start talking about Georgia in a way that I'm not sure we've arrived at that point yet. Uh, but they're absolutely one of the better dynasties in college football. If they, if they win a third one, just given the portal and NIL and how hard it is to win these days, uh, Georgia's dominating. Yeah. And I mean, back to back alone is an incredible feat, right? Like, uh, like you said, all the things that go into a program and, and dealing with injuries and, and out-of-conference opponents and going through the SEC to do it. I mean, everything that Georgia did to, to make it to two in a row, uh, if they do if they do three-peat, I mean, that's its greatest dynasty of all time territory for sure. And he's uh, done it without, like, elite quarterbacks. Like, Kirby Smart's the guy that basically told Justin Fields, like, oh, we're good. You know, we'll just kind of take the game manager. We don't need anything crazy. You know, like, we just don't need to mess this thing up, right? And so yeah. uh, the fact that he's done it that way as well, because, like, from in my memory, you know, most, you know, it's like Trevor Lawrence, you know, and st- like it, Matt Liner, like those guys, like they had quarterbacks that kind of carried those dynasties outside of, you know, the Alabamas that was more running the ball and defense. Georgia's followed that exact blueprint and has beat, beaten Nick Saban at his own game. I, I'm with you. I think Georgia's just far. It's about the West is about who's going to play Georgia in the SEC championship game. Basically it's just in, yeah. and, and honestly in an ideal world, you probably want to go 11 and one and miss out on that chance again to the playoff and not even have to play Georgia. It's probably the, the best chance from the West. Cause that team, I just don't Ohio state had the chance. And they they just didn't get it done, and I don't know if anybody's able to knock them off again. Yeah, it's and again, like they haven't done it with a star quarterback, like yeah. like you said, and uh, obviously, like early two thousands, you could do it without a star quarterback, right? Like you have a uh, you know a and or Oklahoma in two thousand with Josh Heupel, and no disrespect to to Coach Heupel, uh, but he's not going to be the the needle mover as far as quarterbacks go. Uh, Nowadays, it feels like you definitely need more of that quarterback, right? You need that uh, really, really talented guy to kind of lead you and, and take you to the next level, like Trevor Lawrence, uh, Alabama with Bryce Young. I mean, Joe Burrow uh, yeah. with LSU in 2019. Uh, I mean, you can do it with maybe not as talented of a quarterback and a really good supporting cast, and that's what Georgia showed last year, I think. Uh, Stetson Bennett obviously was a gamer, a uh, really scrappy guy. Uh, I think there's a lot of similarities between him and Max Duggan, if I'm being honest. But, uh, you know, it's it was super impressive to see what George is able to do. And, and it also gives you the idea that uh, they're not going to take much of a step back now that Stetson Bennett has moved on. If there is a team that can compete with Georgia in the East, who who do you have? Who do you have getting second? If we're doing the EPL bet where it's like, take away Georgia, who's winning the SEC yeah. East? Who, who are you taking? Tennessee, for sure. Uh, I just think that even with the losses that they've had, there's still just a lot of talent on that roster. And uh, the offense that Hypo runs there can scare anybody, right? Like 
just some of the things that they're able to do offensively. Uh, sometimes teams can get in the game with them just because uh, their defense hasn't been as, as, as high up there, but that offense is, is a frightening proposition for anybody. So uh, Tennessee would be the team in the East that I take if Georgia didn't exist. I kind of, I almost want to just pick South Carolina. I just, I just like, I enjoy the program from the outside. Like I, I like Shane Beamer and his whole thing. Again, I guess it's the wrestling fan in me. Like I enjoy it, like <laughs> lean into it. Like head coaches don't need to be like X's and O's genius. Like, you know, hire those guys and just be a cool figurehead. Maybe it was just like the growing up around Mac Brown, you know, that was like set the vibes and then hire a bunch of really good college coaches and then get really good players and go win football games. And it feels like that's like South Carolina's blueprint. That's at least what they're trying to do. I feel like they could be a team that surprises some people. What are your thoughts on Florida? Like, I feel like Florida is one of those teams where I'm like shrug shoulders. Like I have no idea. Like in theory, I think it should work. I'm a G five guy. And I love what Billy did at, at Louisiana. He's an incredible coach, uh, a great record recruiter. Uh, but sometimes different jobs require different personalities. And I wonder if his works at Florida and if he can recruit alongside Florida State and Miami and some of those other schools that come into Florida and recruit, I just wonder what Florida's upside is nowadays as a program. Yeah, I, and I think Florida can still be great. I just this year I don't have strong thoughts on, on what they can do. I still think they're uh, at best a distant third to Georgia and Tennessee right now, uh, and I think they're right there with South Carolina. Uh, you also have you know, Kentucky in the East, who is, is still a, while not great program, they're good enough to, to jump up and beat some people. Uh, and Vanderbilt's taking a step forward, right? So that's not an easy game anymore. Uh, Mizzou should still be a win, but, you know, we don't have to get into Mizzou uh, too much yet. Uh, I just, man, it, like you said, there's so many factors in recruiting in florida because you have three extremely high level programs in, in different state. conferences yeah. yeah uh and and florida state and, and miami uh but then you also have like ucf has stepped up their recruiting mm -hmm. right and, and now that they're in the big 12 they're they seem to be recruiting better uh and then you have people from all across the sec that come into florida to recruit uh a&m has gotten a lot of guys out of florida even so it, it's there's still potential there in Florida, but it is hard to keep those guys in state. Yeah, it feels like you're going to have to find a guy who can come in and kind of close the borders and kind of like Florida, you know, let's just do it for, and I just don't know who that guy is. I don't know if it's Napier, you know, and we'll find out because I think the upside's still there, uh, but it's not a guaranteed you win at Florida, just like it's not a guarantee you win at Texas anymore, right? Because there's so many people that come in here and recruit and take all the best players. It's not like you just roll out the ball and you win 19 games. The Longhorns have proved that over the last 13 years. Like it is harder to just be household name that just kicks the shit out of people anymore. Um, you got to put in the work in and, and Florida is such a fragmented state, as you mentioned, I think the central Florida part is, is a big, like they recruit, like they do a heck of a job. Like there are Cam Martin, their running backs coach is already, you know, locking down four-star guys with P five offers in that state. So uh, they're going to be a problem. NIL makes it harder and harder uh, to centralize that talent. Uh, unless you're at a place that's just super rich. So I, I don't know. I don't know what Florida is going to do. And then just being next to Georgia, you know, that makes it impossible as well. A lot of times you're just measured against your your running mate, and uh, Florida is measured against Georgia right now, and they are not measuring up. We kind of you kind of mentioned Vanderbilt getting better, and that led me that leads me to my last point on the SEC East. Uh, is it safe to say that they're no longer the worst team in the SEC, and now that belongs to Mizzou? 
I think that's an accurate statement. That is an uh, incredible job done to, to get yeah. Vanderbilt out of the basement to like, not be just the ho-hum obvious sec. Like that's, I don't know if that's more of an indictment on Missouri, uh, but I think it's a hell of a job done at Vanderbilt over his last couple of years. Shout out Barton Simmons. Yeah. And uh, I mean, like James Franklin, he was there, uh, did pretty well at, at Vanderbilt, but uh, it's just uh, a very tough program to recruit to. Uh, and it's a very tough program to to win at consistently. Uh, and, you know, in the, unless we're talking about baseball, in which case then, yeah, Vanderbilt's a fantastic baseball program. But, uh, yeah, I think Vanderbilt, in my standings at least, has moved past Missouri. And I think uh, – I don't think they're the, the worst team in the SEC right now. I think that dishonor, I guess, goes to Mizzou. Yeah, I, th- I think it's. I think so as well. And I think Vanderbilt has, you know, like there's certain programs we don't because we only look at the top. Like I, I'm using we too uh, loosely here, but I feel like as a, as a group, as college football fans, a lot of times we only look at things and how they'll affect like the top couple of teams and how NIL will change the dynamics between Alabama or Texas or Oklahoma or USC. But like there are teams that are lower down in that totem pole that maybe NIL doesn't carry them to the top of the list, but it carries them towards the middle of the pack and over some other play. I think NIL at Vanderbilt, just like we've seen with baseball uh, can be a thing that separates them from a Mizzou or an Arkansas or some places that maybe don't have as much money. Like there's money at Vanderbilt, right? Like we can all, we can all agree, like walk around that campus in Nashville. Like there is some money in in Vanderbilt. There is a lot of high level, uh, rich fame, you know, like rich, wealthy people who have graduated, um, for Vanderbilt. And so like, if they decide as a university, like, Hey, let's like not be shitty at football. Let's like be average at football. Um, they could start making life really hard for Kentucky, um, and South Carolina and the, the, those kind of like middle of the road schools, uh, we'll see what Vanderbilt can do, but I think they've done an excellent job. And I think this is probably the, the last year, uh, there Missouri for the, the current regime. Um, fourth down before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit national, uh, real quick, um, kind of what four teams do you have in the college football playoff at the end of the year? All right. Uh, diving right in, uh, Georgia, I think is an obvious entry. Uh, the big 10 is going to get at least one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Ohio state, I lean Ohio state over Michigan, uh, this year. I think, uh, you know, it's been great for Michigan these past two years, getting uh, a measure of revenge after kind of suffering it against Ohio state for a while. But I think Ohio state gets back in there this year. Uh, like we talked about with LSU coming out of the West, I, I think they're a playoff team as well. Uh, and then I have, not USC out of the Pac-12. And wow. this is where I'm kind of uh, getting a little bit off the rails. I really like Washington this year. I really like Washington out of the Pac-12. I like that. Out on, out on a branch, you, you included the West Coast, but not in a way that I thought you were going to. Uh, we disagree here. Usually we're pretty lockstep on stuff football-wise so far. We disagree here. We also have Georgia. Uh, but give me Michigan. I think Michigan may win the national title this year. Uh, I, I think Michigan's going to have a really good football team. Uh, as Jim Harbaugh, I don't believe Jim Harbaugh when he says he's going to have like 20 people drafted or whatever that ungodly number was uh, that he said, but they're going to have a dozen or so draft and they're going to be pretty good. I think they finally got over that mental hump of Ohio State. I don't, we could on a different podcast maybe talk about what we feel about with Ryan Day. Uh, I tend to agree with Harbaugh that he's a dude that was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. Uh, and and I think Harbaugh starting to lap him 
uh, as a coach. I, I like Harbaugh's kind of, again, I like his shtick, right? It's like the opposite yeah. of Lane Kiffin's, but it works. And we need as many, like, give me Aranda, give me Harbaugh, <laughs> give me Kiffin, like give me as many variety of people as we can. For for most of our life, every head coach was the same. I enjoy uh, coaches that go about it differently. So I got Georgia, Michigan, LSU. I agree with you there uh, as well. Uh, then I have USC. Uh, just because I do think the Pac-12 is better this year, which is ironic because it's about to break up as it's been maybe as entertaining as it's going to be in a long time this year. I think Utah is a good team. Oregon could be pretty decent. I do think Washington uh, is the biggest challenger to USC, although I do feel we never give Utah like the proper credit that Utah deserves because they play a brand of football that maybe in week two, isn't going to beat you down and uh, humiliate you. But by week 12, you're like, please, no. It's like the Andre the Giant. Like, no, I don't want to see Utah right now. Like, I'm sore. Like, please don't. And they just come through the the Pac-12 and they just murder those weak-ass West Coast soft teams by October, November, December. And they may do it again. Uh, But the problem with Utah is they mess up in week two or week three and their national perception isn't such to where they can make a playoff. So uh, they're kind of always in this role of like spoiler rather than like playoff darling. Utah, uh, late season Utah is a lot like Habib uh, Nurmagomedov in the UFC where he just like takes people down, grounds and pounds them and and zaps the will to live out of them. That's what watching Utah in the late season is like. I love uh, late season Utah as like a, you know, it's like gang sign John Wall. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> I like, I like late season Utah as just a term. Oh man. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I mean, the PAC 12 is kind of an exciting conference this year. Uh, it's actually not kind of, it's, it's definitely an exciting conference this year. Uh, and then like, you didn't even as a dark, dark horse, Oregon state. Oh, I mean, you're that falling is, into it. You're falling I'm, into this. Oregon State has a good offensive line thing that's been going around. <laughs> I just mean as a very dark. Like I still think Washington wins the Pac-12 in my opinion. Uh, and again, that's kind of a dark horse in its own right. But there are some intriguing programs kind of floating around the uh, the, the six to ten range that could find their way into a playoff in a hurry. Uh, Penn State, right? If if yeah. Drew Allar is is as good as they say. Uh, or as good as they hope he is, uh, Penn State could be a real problem. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty pumped. I get to go see uh, the wideout uh, September 23rd, I believe, uh, when they play Iowa. So I'll get to see, you talk about best uh, best environments in college football. Can I get to go see that one firsthand? Uh, Florida State, I mean, we could learn a lot in week one, right? Florida State, LSU play each other. And that is going to be one hell of a matchup right out of the gate. Uh, and, and Florida State's one of those teams that could, I think, could definitely sneak in. Uh, and, you know, I hate to say it, but say it. Texas in the Texas. Big 12. I mean, look, if they manage to, to upset Alabama or even keep that game close, and all of a sudden at the end of the year, they're in the Big 12 championship with one loss, I think they could easily make their way into the playoff. Yeah, I do too. I have two teams written down here as my dark horses. Texas was one of them. I'm gl- Again, I'm glad you took that thunder there. You took that arrow for me <laughs> uh, because people would have crushed me if I was the one only talking about Texas. But it's not just their, their roster, right? Like, I don't think their roster is much better or any better than A&M's roster. But playing in the Big 12 and having a quarterback kind of that's done it, you know, 10 games and 
And that offensive line is going to be really good. Defense line is going to be, they can get through the big 12 in a way that a and is going to have a hard time getting through the sec. Yeah. So like you said, if they can go 11 and one or even do what TCU did last year, where they go 12 and zero in the regular season and then lose the big 12 championship game or 11 and one and win the big 12 championship game with their name brand. I think that gets them in and that gives them an opportunity. The big 12 is kind of weird. It's kind of a weird down year. It feels like for the big 12, unless tech is what people say that they're going to be. And I just don't see it. I lo- listen, you can't find somebody who enjoys Joey McGuire more than this guy, right? I put him on a cover before he'd ever coached a, a college football game as a head coach. However, uh, it worries me how warm and fuzzy everybody's getting about Texas Tech. Like, <laughs> calm down. Like, you know, like, let's calm down. Let let him be a dark horse or kind of an underdog for at least year two before we start putting these expectations on Tech. My other team I have written down, though, and it's hard for me to consider this a dark horse because who I'm about to say, but Clemson, why are we not talking? about Clemson like when Clemson has decent quarterback play they go to the college football playoff that that's historically what they do since the college football playoff has started they had piss poor quarterback play last couple years uh that's not gonna be true with Cade Klubnik like I am a Cade Klubnik guy I am from Austin I live here he went to Westlake which is right down the road so when I was a recruiting writer I saw Cade all the time he was in that same class as Wegman and Quinn Ewers before they reclassified. And there was this real conversation of who is the best of those three. Like that's how uh, close those three were. Uh, I'm not a Dabo Sweeney guy. I, I don't, if we're talking about sticks, like, and there's sticks that I like one stick I don't like is Dabo Sweeney's um, just that whole, like, I thought he was supposed to quit a few years ago and players started getting paid and he's still coaching, yeah, too. Um, but he's a hell of a football coach. The people who do play for him love him, despite how much he seems to be anti-athlete. So, like, good on them, I guess. Um, I think Clemson could be a team that, much like Texas in the Big 12, could waltz through the ACC, be 11-1, and uh, beat Florida State once or twice, and then get into the college football playoff. Yeah, and that Florida State-Clemson battle is really the the one we have circled there in the ACC, uh, because whoever wins that is going to be a pretty good football team. Uh, I think a lot of people are kind of soured on Clemson after kind of the way their year ended, right? Like South Carolina goes in and, and upsets uh, upsets the Tigers to kind of end the year. So maybe some people just aren't as high on them as they have been. And, and you have a lot of people who are expecting Florida State to just be a really good program. And, and that could be why we're kind of counting out Clemson. But like you said, I mean, they're going to have good quarterback play with Klubnik. So it's 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 it makes sense that uh, we may, you know, we may be counting Clemson out, but uh, we probably shouldn't be. Uh, and then, I mean, you look at in the ACC other than other than Florida State. I mean, I don't really see a ton to to challenge Clemson. You have that late game against uh, Notre Dame, uh, where where Notre Dame comes to Death Valley because they're kind of like a pseudo ACC team, yeah, uh, with the scheduling partnership. But it, it's the pathway is there for sure. And then, lastly, before we get out of here. Um, this feels like a uniquely a unique experience for college football this year because this whole thing is going to blow up after the, this is kind of the last year we have our I know things have changed before in college football but for the most part most of us have grown up kind of with these conferences with this footprint uh, in the last 15 or so years or whatever it's been we've had the four-team college football playoff the two-team before that starting in 2024 USC is a Big Ten team Oklahoma's an SEC team right UCF I guess they're all coming over this year, but you know what I mean? Like the whole landscape of this thing changes. The 12 team playoff comes along um, kind of your overthought overall thoughts on the college football landscape. And if this year kind of 
feels like one to really savor or you think you're going to enjoy 2024, 2025, like as much as you're going to enjoy this year? This almost feels like a mourning period in a lot of ways uh, this season. Uh, because as, as much as we talk about like the Pac-12 and, and kind of their ineptitude is the reason they got kind of broken up. It's still fun. Like I love those Pac-12 after dark games. Those are some yeah. of my favorite matchups, and uh, you know some of the late season, you know the the Rose Bowl and and seeing games played there between the Big Ten and and the Pac-12 was always fun. Uh, and it feels like this is just setting up to be kind of an unpredictable season, other than than Georgia still being Georgia. Uh, it, it just feels like there's a lot of variables and and maybe some teams that. Uh, haven't been on the radar in a while, have a chance to really take a step forward and, and be really good. Uh, and I'm still going to enjoy 2024, mainly because of that A&M Texas games that we keep mentioning. Please get us in there. Uh, but it, it's, it does feel like kind of an end, end of era college football season in 2023 does. And, uh, the flip side of that too is with Texas and OU leaving the Big Twelve, uh, the last Bedlam game that in the foreseeable future. I mean, you have the uh, the last Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State, uh, Washington and Washington State. It, it feels like the last Apple Cup for the foreseeable future. So there's a lot of a lot of death of regional rivalries, and. I can't speak for everyone, but for me, a lot of the appeal of college football is those regional rivalries. I love games like the backyard brawl between West Virginia and Pitt. I love games like the, you know, Paul Bunyan's Axe, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. Obviously, that one's staying. Uh, but when we lose contests like that, I think a little bit of college football goes away. And, and I understand the desire uh, to crown a true national champion and have these massive matchups between huge brands. I understand that. But the spirit of college football will always be those regional rivalries. Yeah, I think we've lost our soul in a bit. And it reminds me a little bit of like streaming and cable. And like in 10 years, we're going to want all this to come like backwards. You know, like, oh, man, this seemed good to have like this a la carte thing. It's like, oh, man, just give me a freaking cable box where I can change channels between HGTV and football at the same time without having to go to different apps and stuff. And you know, I think it already I think we already know we're going to regret these decisions. And it just made rich people richer. And none of us really. Uh, are going to have a more enjoyable time. And that's not to say we're not going to all sit around the campfire and watch every single 2024 game. We talked about Texas, Texas A&M. I'm sure the second round of that playoff is going to come and we're going to be like, man, look at these games. This is going to be so great. Like, I get it. I'm not I'm not trying to act like I'm holier than thou and I'm going to like turn in my media credential and, and not co cover college football anymore. Uh, but the things that made me fall in love with college football exist fewer and fewer than they did when I was a kid. And this is just one more example uh, of that happening. And so um, next to the Oilers leaving and the Southwest conference breaking up, right? Like this is the, this is the next, this is like the other thing, right? This is like one of those other examples of like money winning out over like the people who love the sport. And it's never a good thing. Like it's never like, it never gets better, right? The and city of Houston isn't better without the Oilers. Right. So like, yeah. uh, we would all go back to the Southwest conference if we could, for the most part, you know, that would be fun as hell, especially if there was entry into a playoff because of it, if it didn't keep you out 
of anything that would still be a lot of fun. So yeah, I just think it's, you know, one of those years that like you cherish and you'll remember and we'll have kids one day and we'll talk to kids about the 2023 season and how that was the last time good football was played. And it was actually like a real person (laughs) sport and all that kind of stuff. The way that people say that Austin's been ruined 15 times in the last 40 years. I I think this is going to be the best season since 2007. Uh, But I mean, you, you look at it and uh, I mean, let's be honest here too we as fans have a have a, have a role to play in this demise as well and no doubt our no doubt. demand for a solid national champion right like we didn't even play for an outright national championship we had like just the bowl games and, and you voted on and sometimes there were disputes like you have to wonder if you know we didn't push for that which i mean we did we it did. is what it is right you can't go back uh but that is my is. last point i want to make is if, if you were a person who talked about how the bowl games sucked and how they were useless and like the only thing that mattered was finding a national champion and all that, like you did this, like you, you can go look through my Twitter history. I never asked for this. I wanted it to stay bowl games. I didn't care if four teams got picked as national championship. Who cares? Like it's just a poll. Uh, but we wanted it to be more of a national sport. And now it's a national sport and only 25 teams matter. So congratulations to everybody uh, for making that happen. Sorry. That's my, that's my, uh, <laughs> that's my end of yeah, my rant. So and, uh, tell, tell the fans where you're going next week. Yeah. So next week I will be in uh, the land of enchantment, God, uh, New Mexico. You. Yeah. Going up to Santa Fe uh, for a few days. Then I'm going to hop up to Colorado for a little bit. Uh, go to Durango. Uh, going to swing through Mesa Verde, get my history nerd on uh, with some of the cliff dwellings out there. Uh, swing back down through the land of enchantment, uh, spend some nights in Red River, New Mexico, where the current projected high for next week is 74 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, and I can't wait for that. I, I'm going to, the lows are going to be in the forties. I'm going to break out the quarter zip in, in August. And it feels fantastic to do that. Uh, but yeah, going to get a quick vacation in before college football gets underway. And uh, I basically kiss all of my free time. Goodbye. I will be uh, just so you know, just like how much I hate you right now. I will be writing stories on the road or at the ranch messing around with cattle in 115 degree weather because nobody has any water and uh, hay is $150 a barrel. So like that, that's where I'm at in my life. So like all next week, I am going to be mumbling like FUs towards you. And just because I I think that North New Mexico and that Southern part of Colorado is one of my favorite regions in America. I I am extremely jealous that you, you get to go do that. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a special part of the country for me. Uh, I mean, Red River, New Mexico, is the reason that I fell in love with mountains and uh, try to get back there as much as I can. And I mean, it, it's tough to explain just uh, all the feelings that I get up there, right? Like uh, the the mountain air, the smell of the pines after it rains. I mean, everything that goes into making that just such a special place. And and some actual topography changes versus Houston, where it's you know flat. Uh, I, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. And I think it's going to be a perfect kind of reset before we go into college football. And, and I think we'll both be kind of running around with our hair on fire. Yeah. We need to uh, one day do a power rankings of like regions we'd want to live in uh, because that, that area of North uh, New Mexico right there is like angel fire, like Taos, those kind of areas like that. That's, that's top, top for me up there. Um, so anyway, uh, one more, one more Saturday without college football. And then we were at to week zero, two more Saturdays. And then you're fighting Texas Aggies start the 2023 season. 
Um, that'll do it for this week. We uh, That was one of our longer episodes there. A lot of SEC talk, some national talk, uh, the Johnny Football doc. Uh, we will be back a week from now uh, to where we're we're getting pretty close there. We'll be in, you know, I guess the teens of days left. I'm not good at math. But anyway, uh, we will be back next week uh, to talk more Aggie football for Jay Arnold, for Mike Craven, Republic of Football, and Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Peace.